Spring is here, and as of April 1st, the CFB Winning Edge 2022 FBS team profiles are available for all of our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. Our FBS team profiles include 131 team pages, each with 85 or more individual player ratings, position and unit rankings, depth charts, transfer updates, injury reports, full season and single game projections, and much, much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join as a Tier 2 member to access our roster strength ratings, head coach rankings, on-field team performance, and recruiting strength history for all 131 FBS programs. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping to fund our 2022 FBS team profiles and other projects coming soon. Welcome back, everybody. It's the podcast edition of College Football Winning Edge, CFB Winning Edge. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. On the show today, we're going to be talking about, uh, obviously, some more spring practices and, and games that have happened. The transfer portal is popping off, just like Nick said it was going to. We had uh, ESPN release its uh, FPI for 2022, which caused a little bit of a buzz. And we'll be talking about offensive roster strength and improvement and who got better, who got worse this year. But uh, Nick, it's the off season right now. I'm sure things have slowed down for you, right? It's all calm and uh, no panic at all, right? Well, so the, you used a word that's got a little bit of a... Uh, it, it's a little bit of a no-no in some circles, the, the O word off season. Off season. Right? So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've tried to kind of start conditioning myself to say early off season uh, or no, pff, I just screwed it up. Sorry. Oh uh, man. Early, look at that. I know. I know. I know. I did it. it. It's a hard habit to break. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't give you too much grief, <laughs> but, uh, early preseason is what I'm trying to condition myself to say. And as, as somebody who's got dozens and dozens of uh, Google alerts set for like every G5 team every day that I have to sift through, I, I do want to say that we are certainly no longer in the way too early stage. I think we're just early, but uh, I have been trying to say preseason. We're in the early preseason in, instead of the off season, but uh, back to your question uh yeah if if you don't you know if i just disappear and and you guys never hear from me or or you know cfp winning edge again it's because i've just gone crazy uh <laughs> doing returning production stuff because that's that's basically the the big thing on the to-do list this week i've complained you know plenty in the past about the team profiles those are up and ready to go now we're on the full returning production database which i think is is you know it's when it's done going to be really good going to be the most uh probably the the most in-depth returning production numbers and and you know just sort of you can actually see player by player who's coming back who's not all the stats involved uh but it is definitely a grind trying to you know cross a certain number of teams off per day i've, I've had a little bit of 
uh, glitches with uh, a, a data service that is, you know, usually goes hand in hand with my work on that. So it's it's been a little bit of a struggle. If I do, like I said, disappear, we can blame it on that. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to wrapping that up this week, but or not this week, excuse me, later this month. Uh, yeah, I know. No, don't want to <laughs> don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but uh, but yes, it's it's uh, kind of all consuming at this point, and uh, that that's my big early preseason uh project at least uh you know for the month of april and and just to clarify when i say off season i mean there are no games running currently like this upcoming saturday that's what i mean in off season there's always stuff happening so i guess off season you know it is a big twitter buzzword there's no such thing as an off season yeah but we typically call when there's no games being played the off season that, that that's all. And I'm an old man and I can't get, I can't get out of the habit. Uh, a young man <laughs> on this show, Xavier, uh, how's your week going and, and how many of these spring games did you get to watch? I got to four of them. I got to Bama, Florida, Georgia, um, and Michigan state. Uh, those were the four I was able to get to. Um, I love spring games. I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's like I said, if it's still the player in me or something, but watching spring games just brings back really good memories. Cause I feel like spring practice for me was that fun time of the year where like nobody's spot is set, set in stone. This is a new opportunity to show the coaching staff what you got. Um, and so I, I, it brought back good memories. The only thing I, I walked away from it was, man, can we televise the spring game? Like Michigan state spring game started off with like, uh, like routes on air, uh, you know, like 3v3 and blocking different schemes. And I was like, I don't care to see this part. Like, this is practice. Like, this is what they do Monday through Thursday. Like, I, I'm, I don't care to see this aspect of spring practice. Like, this is the coach's curated version that's not even, like, full defense on full defense. Then they did, like, an offensive line versus defensive line portion. I was like, really? We're doing inside? Like, no, like – I'm good. Like, this is not what I came here for. This is not why I got a free trial for the Big Ten Network. I promise you that. You that give it. Xavier 11 on 11 or you give him death. That's what yeah, we exactly. say, right? You know, what I will say, and this is kudos to the Big Ten Network broadcast, they did continuously throw up a graphic when it was one versus ones. That was good. I appreciate that from a viewing aspect because sometimes, like in the Georgia spring game, they were just running quarterbacks out there. And I had to, and if I wasn't such a fan of the team, I wouldn't even know who was who at times. So I appreciated them throwing up the graphic on a consistent basis. But otherwise, I was like, yo, I don't care to watch inside. Like, nobody, they're running up, you know, they're running right into each other. It's like watching the Oklahoma drill to start a spring game. Like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> what, what, what aspect am I going to be able to pull from this? Okay, this guy sucks in the Oklahoma drill. Is that, is that hey, to be terrible on Saturdays? No. Look, I, I'm just happy for whatever content they provide, right? I'll, I'll take whatever they give us, you know, be, especially when we have uh, – who was it we mentioned last week, Nick, that was not going to uh, air their spring game because they didn't want teams looking at the, you know, oh, whoever sure, it was? Sure, sure, yeah. So USF made some – Right, uh, yeah. Made some headlines with that. But, there, you know, there are others as well. And, and you know, like Xavier mentioned, there are plenty – of teams who are like, oh no, this isn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't actually doing a spring game anyway. This is like a open practice, practice. or a spring showcase or yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess like the, you know, off season slash preseason, it's spring game slash spring showcase. Everything's ambiguous. Scrimmage, whatever. Right. 
Right. It's not really a practice. It's more like a meet and greet hangout with fun route running. Like, well, what are we talking about? Like, is this a practice or not, guys? What are we doing? You know, is it a game or not? You, yeah. To, to be completely honest with you, though, all of these spring games still was completely better than anything the USFL put out this week. Yeah. Okay. But Jesus. Right. Yeah. I I did turn on USFL and I lasted about five minutes on it. It was yeah. rough. So yeah, they, look, it, it's it's hard to start so late in the process, get a team together, and then get going for games that fast. It's just a little too quick. So, uh, you know, they'll get better uh, at at the end of the season, as a lot of these players will. But let's just dive in on uh, what you guys saw out of the spring practices. I've been watching a lot of baseball. Hey, double header for the D backs today, so I get to watch them lose twice. So, uh, but um, let's just start out Florida. What was the big one here, Nick? And Anthony Richardson was great, but you also had, you know, like things in Florida. You had a great thing followed up by a terrible thing, and he was driving way too fast. They got clocked at 100 miles per hour. So that sucks, but he did look good. And Emory Jones is in the transfer portal. So there's at least a little good news for Florida. What do you think of their spring game? Yeah, so I, I haven't sat down and watched the full thing yet. Have seen some highlights, heard, you know, read some things. Uh, but Florida being the one they they wanted, I guess the the uh, you know the Thursday night little bit or time slot to uh, maybe have the spotlight on themselves a little bit in the uh, new era, the you know Billy Napier era, and it it really sounds like Anthony Richardson is you know, to be expected, especially now that Emory Jones is, has moved on and Richardson, it, it seems is fully healthy is, is the guy. And, you know, last year we saw uh, several glimpses. I won't just say a glimpse, but saw, you know, him, some incredible, just huge plays, long runs, touchdowns, and, and it's kind of a big play machine, but was uh, unfortunately not fully healthy most of the year, missed some significant time. And, and uh, you know, Emory Jones was able to, for the most part, hold on to that job because of, you know, that the, those combinations of things. But Florida is going to be a team that for me is, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what's going on there because last year um, we had relatively high expectations. I mean, not, not abnormally high, but certainly not uh, as low as what ended up happening and, and Florida really, really came up short. And now expectations are far more modest. Uh, you know, I, I, we've, we've shown our power rankings, their top 25 team uh, FPI, as you mentioned, we'll talk about a little bit uh, later on. They're also a top 25 team there, but I think most folks looking at Florida and think, Oh man, you know, this was a team that uh, barely made a bowl game, lost to UCF in the bowl game. Um, just look bad. Second half of the year, look like they quit first year head coach. Now lost some players to the NFL, other holes on the roster. There are some, some folks who have basically no expectations for Florida. And I think they are a team that is probably better has a higher uh, you know, they might not be a great team. They, they certainly might not challenge in the SEC East, but um, they're a better team, I think, or have more talent and have more on hand uh, this year than the team that, you know, the, than the record would indicate 
coming into this year. So they are going to be a tricky one to pin down, but I'm, I'm interested to dive into uh, more of the, you know, notes from the spring game, actual, um, you know, actually sit and, and, and try to watch every play of it. Uh, or at least, you know, Richardson when he's on and, and things like that, because he's, he's a really, really exciting player and there is talent around him. We just didn't see it really, implemented very well last year. So I, I, I'm, you know, I do need to, to actually put my eyes on it and figure out uh, how I feel about Florida because our numbers kind of like them, at least relative to what most people's expectations probably are based on last year and based on sort of the, the roster movement and Richardson at the quarterback position, if he's, you know, not got any legal issue coming from this or any suspension, or anything, which I, it doesn't sound like he does. Uh, but assuming he's fully healthy, assuming he's able to get out and, and uh, you know, take those number one snaps, he's got the potential to elevate things to an even higher level, I think. So I'm, I'm particularly interested in him, but, you know, Florida as a team as well, because I think they're right now, I think they're a team that's flying under the radar a little bit and, and probably has a higher ceiling than most people would assume. Xavier, you, you said uh, Florida was one of the games you got to watch. What did you see? First things first, Richardson is by far and away the guy. Um, he looked really good. Uh, athleticism looked there, which is definitely a plus after he was a little hobbled in and out of the lineup last season. Uh, but looked ready to go. Looked looked really good in uh, a lot of the motion plays in which they ran. Uh, that's pretty much my only negative. Their offensive line was pretty bad. Uh, and if you know anything about Florida's defensive front this year, it's actually pretty solid. They probably have a first-round draft pick in Garvin uh, Dexter on that team. Uh, but more than, but more importantly, you could tell that that was probably one of the weaker spots for Florida, as you saw Billy Napier definitely running a lot more motion than you would do if you had an offensive line that was a little bit better up front. Um, you know, and that's where their offensive line also was the best. There were their excuse me, where their offense looked the best uh, was during plays in which they, you know ran in motion, uh, you know, uh, where it was running to odd sides of the field, playing the numbers game, overloading, making sure that they could win in that regard, or just playing, I won't say gimmicks, but read option, things of that nature, just to move the eyes of the defense. Because uh, when they were running straight up the middle, there was a there was a, a three or four step sneak sequence uh, where it was a, I think it was a first and goal. And it took all four downs for them to get a yard. Um, and so going straight into the middle of that offensive line, it was, was, was a, was a struggle for them throughout the game. So that was pretty much what I saw. Um, on top of that, Jack Miller is the backup. Uh, he looked like a backup, which was, was rough at times. His decision-making just wasn't there. Um, so if he had, so really if he tr was trying to compete for a starting job, he's going to, it's going to take one hell of a summer and fall for that to happen. Um, where you, you genuinely believe Richardson's the guy after that. That's, that's one of the, one of those takeaways that you have is sometimes, a kid can be that good on a spring game, but also other kids can just be like that underwhelming. And Jack Miller had a rather underwhelming spring game uh, to where, you know, when you come out of, of, of the spring game, the, the definitely the articles were not, well, Jack Miller might be competing for the starting job. Nah, I, it's Anthony Richards job, <laughs> uh, Richardson's job. And I, I think rightfully so he just looks locked in. He looks ready to go. Um, he looks happy and comfortable being the guy under and, and more importantly, understanding that there is nobody breathing down his neck, his, his, that his leash is – he's not on a short leash. So if he throws a pick, he, he gets pulled. I think he, you could tell that he, he's been really comfortable taking first-team reps and, and feels, you know, that he's the guy through and through. 
um, and isn't worried about, you know, uh, essentially a fifth year senior coming in and, you know, taking his spot if, if things are to go bad. So uh, we had a bunch of other teams uh, open up. Uh, Alabama was, uh, you know, uh, they, Will Anderson showed off. Jameer Gibbs was looking great. We saw our first great. look at Eric Gilbert. Uh, at Georgia, who I believe is listed as a wide receiver now instead of a tight end. That was a whole CFF thing. Uh, that, that, that had, uh, oh, now now he's back to tight end? Now he's back to tight end, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, uh, th there you go. Brock Bowers didn't play. He was out with uh, an injury. So uh, we got to see Eric Gilbert. We saw Ohio State uh, and C.J. Stroud have a nice, um, you know, uh, honoring of, of Dwayne Haskins at their practice. Uh, we saw Michigan State. You know, what are they going to do with replacing uh, Kenneth Walker? Jalen Berger looked good. Jerick Broussard, uh, Broussard is going to get there at, at some point as well. We saw South Carolina open up with a bunch of their new players. So uh, what do you want to talk about here, Nick? Just hit anything else that you saw from the spring games here. Well, Xavier brought up a, a really interesting point about the Florida offensive line. And, and you mentioned how dominant uh, Will Anderson looked on Saturday. And, and it's a little bit, I don't know if this is exactly the right analogy or, or whatever, but it's kind of like a, a chicken versus the egg thing. It, it, it's been a pretty common uh, takeaway. And like I said, I, I, I spend more time in the summer watching spring games than I do actually when they're going on in the spring, I try to read up as, as much as I can on, on things uh, to be prepared for these discussions. And then also just, you know, don't want to miss anything big, but um, I, I take my time and actually going and, and looking through most of the games, but a lot of the takeaways and a lot of the uh, articles that I've read over the last 48 hours or so. Um, and it's pretty common this type of year, but is, you know, Oh, the offensive line, didn't look great. The pass rush was, uh, you know, the big story. Defense dominated the day, that that type of thing. And Alabama, you know, is it that they have the number one defense in the country? Because according to our roster strength calculations, they do. And in individual position strength ratings, they're top 10 at every level. Uh, you know, number one, secondary number two set of linebackers number seven set of defensive line and we actually still categorize will anderson in that linebacker group even though he's you know an edge rusher plays more on the, the line of scrimmage but um you know they are an elite elite defense and and right now in my opinion at this early stage they are clearly the best defense in the country so you know you you think about that and how their offensive line looked uh, or, you know, how things were written about them and, and whatnot. And on the one hand, you know, Alabama's got pl plenty of talent. They, they recruited a really, really high level. Their offensive line in a lot of those roster strength ratings, uh, very, very high. I mean, average 247 ranking, number one. Average rivals ranking, number one. Average player rating, number one. On the offensive line, all three. But it's not the most experienced unit. They lost their best player from last year who, you know, it's going to be difficult to replace. Bringing in a transfer is not on, uh, you know, not on campus yet. And this offensive line was in some ways the weak spot of the team last year. They ranked 45th in our offensive line 
performance rating. So, you know, it is right now the biggest question mark if there is one about our number one uh, ranked team. But it's it's a little bit difficult to tell sometimes. Is it because the offensive line really could be an issue, really could be the thing? You know, if there's something that holds Alabama back in 2022, is it the offensive line or is it just that defense is is so good? Um, you know, there were similar takeaways from some other teams. One that I thought was was kind of interesting and it was almost flipped and unexpected based on the way uh, their offensive line has played in, in recent years. But Miami, apparently, their offensive line did quite well, uh, according to what I read, to uh, keep the pass rush kind of in check during their spring game showcase, whatever it was. Uh, so, you know, did make note of that. Mario Cristobal is an offensive line coach, so I would expect they would improve. We've been thinking they would improve for a while now. But, uh, again, you know, how much can we really – take away from that in a, in a spring game. But uh, I did get to see a little bit of the Georgia game. Was pretty impressed with uh, Eric Gilbert. Uh, I know he's a little heavier right now. I know he's you know been working through some things the last couple of years while we haven't really got a chance to see him, um, you know, at all last year. But I think obviously the, the raw talent is still there and just his pure size, you know, strength and height and things like that. I uh, don't know exactly how he's going to work with Brock Bowers on the field with, you know, Darnell Washington and, and that tight end group is just ridiculous at Georgia, but it was pretty interesting how, you know, when they were working on red zone stuff, when they got close to the goal line, they were trying to go to Eric Gilbert. And so that's, you know, just, I, I will try to take a little note here and there. And, and that was one that he's a matchup nightmare for, you know, teams. He, as you mentioned, athletic enough, that he was listed as a wide receiver last year. It sounds like he outgrew that uh, again and is going to be more of a tight end, but, um, you know, still split him out, work out of the slot, things like that, try to get matchups down uh, by the the end zone, by the goal line. And and, uh, it's going to be really interesting because he is really, really talented and had a, had a solid spring game. Saw a a few minutes of the Ohio state game, um, you know, seeing that program honor uh, Dwayne Haskins, one of the best, you know, quarterback seasons in Ohio State history, arguably, you know, the best maybe, um, just from a, a, a pure production standpoint. And C.J. Stroud, who, you know, might be the other, you know, top guy in that conversation based on what he did last year, wears the same number, uh, was, was just kind of a, a neat moment to see that. But, uh, you know, Ohio State football-wise, they are just so deep. I mean, they've got so many guys. Kind of the the star of the spring game being Evan Pryor is what the third string running back, and and he looks like he could be a star if it weren't for Trevion Henderson and and Mayan Williams, who also had a solid day. And Ohio State, you know, doesn't run all that much, or at least last year. I mean, they were they were pretty heavy in in uh, passing and in standard down situations and, and things like that. And you wouldn't expect that to change too much with Stroud and with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and four or five, five stars, however many there are in that receiving group, even with losing a couple of, uh, you know, probably first two day picks in, in the NFL draft. So uh, they're going to be incredibly good. I mean, those three teams right now, Alabama, Georgia, and, and Ohio state, I think are, are in a tier kind of all by themselves. 
Uh, I might be tempted to say Ohio, uh, Alabama and Ohio State are, are kind of in a, a tier all their own, and Georgia maybe in its own uh, at, at number three there. But um, it was fun to watch those three. And, and even though I didn't dive too deep, uh, you can see just the talent on hand for, for those teams in particular. But, um, you know, veering away a little bit into to maybe some of the lower profile teams, I, I, I do think that spring – and Xavier mentioned this a little bit earlier as well from a player's perspective. Uh, in a lot of cases, there's you know maybe no depth chart. There's um, opportunity, especially if there's a new staff or a new you know change in in uh, philosophy on offense. And and some guys are able to go in and take advantage of situations like that. And and one name that I heard you know a lot about, uh, including a couple of long touchdowns during the spring game. So on the biggest stage, if there is one, uh, you know, at this stage in, in the preseason, Caleb Smith at Virginia tech um, seems to have put himself in, in position to be a playmaker in that offense. And I, you know, have no idea how good the Virginia tech offense actually will be. And they certainly haven't been one that has produced, you know, a high level of production at the receiver position in recent years, but uh, you know, he's a, he's a big body guy, showed some speed, showed he can make big plays and just uh, you know, uh, maybe a small story, maybe it'll be able to, you know, maybe it'll translate and he'll become one of the better receivers in the ACC in 2022. Maybe he's just uh, uh, a guy who, you know, get some buzz in, in the spring and maybe doesn't carry it over into the regular season. But it is fun for me to see in, in some of these situations where guys take advantage of an opportunity due to a you know new coaching staff or, or uh, the starter moving on or, or whatever it is. But uh, I always try to, you know, take note of, of a few of those as well. And hey, you know, maybe maybe uh, Caleb Smith will be able to to capitalize on this and, and sort of parlay it into uh, a really strong season in, in 2022. Yeah, definitely on the table here. Xavier, what do you see from uh, the rest of these uh, spring games? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I'll start at Michigan State. Uh, that one was, uh, I won't say alarming isn't the word I want to say when it comes to a spring game, uh, but it felt like I was watching Michigan State in the middle of like October last year, like Peyton Thorne looked behind as far as his reads uh, you know, the running game was the, the bread and butter. Um, the defense was good, but the passing game was woeful again, even with Peyton Thorne there. And it just felt like it's like I said, it felt like I was watching Michigan State mid October, where it's like, okay, this this passing game's got to come around here at some point, right? Like, it's, it's got to mature at some point. Uh, Georgia was uh, really, I mean, Georgia understanding that this is probably the first year we've had in three seasons where we know who the quarterback is, like day one. Um, they understand that it's going to be Stetson. Like, there's no conversation. There's no argument. There's no article. Like, it's, it's Stetson Bennett. And everybody else is going out for quarterback number two, uh, which I think firmly is in the grasp of Carson Beck now. He had a really good day. Um, Eric Gilbert looked good. But that, I mean, you know, Nick hit on the head. That tight end room is just ridiculous. Uh, he didn't even mention the five-star incoming freshman and Oscar Delp, who looked really good on Saturday as well. I, I don't know how, you know, how we're going to get four tight ends on the field at the same time. But we might try. Um, you know, uh, we might have to line up Brock Bowers at fullback. Let's see what happens there. But you double know, tight, I, double slot. That's all you, I mean, or, I mean uh, double wing, I should say. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, and Stetson just, you know, looked like 
so that's a bit. So I pretty much expected that. I was uh, more so looking at the the secondary for Georgia, as that's going to be the biggest turnover, uh, in my opinion. You know, the defensive front look that we had. You know, Jalen Carter is going to be a freak of nature. That's going to be said. Nolan Smith is back, uh, but really watching that secondary and that linebacking room, uh, you know, forming the shape. What was was interesting to say the least, because there's going to be a lot of young guys. And you could tell uh, the defense wasn't very creative. I mean, last year, Georgia got very creative in their defensive schemes with the shifting pre-snap and things like that. I don't think we see something of the similar uh, coming into this year. I think it's a little bit more of a simpler defense. Uh, but, you know, Kirby could, could prove me wrong. But that's one of the takeaways I had immediately was, okay, this is a very, very simplified defense that I'm watching right here uh, with, with so much young talent in the secondary and at the linebacker position. Uh, South Carolina, Luke Doty looked really good as the backup. Uh, he actually looked really, really good. Uh, which and this is something I thought of immediately was if a kid has a really, really good spring game and knows he's not going to be the starter, what's stopping him from hopping in the portal right after that and being like, you know what? Here's my take for the most recent spring game. Go based off of that. Uh, well, that was Joe Burrow, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, and one that, really, really good. One thing that I think is interesting and, and maybe it's existed for a while and I just hadn't been exposed to it, but um when you see now guys who haven't played a whole lot, uh, you know, on Saturdays on the field and they're going in the transfer portal, they're, they're uploading like huddle or whatever the, like practice the software film, yeah. is practice film. Yeah. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's maybe that's always happened. I don't know, but, Th- but it's that interesting reminds that, me that guys have that uh, option or, uh, you know, the ability to do that now, which is, cool. that reminds me very much of like when high school kids transfer, uh, they bring out, especially ones that don't play, you bring out your huddle footage from like the month of October in practice and you move schools based off of that, um, which transferring does happen in high school football. It's a little bit more difficult depending on your state. Some states have a complete open system uh, for the state of Georgia. It's a little bit more difficult. But, yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It was like, hey, I looked really good playing as a scout team receiver against the first defense you know, sign me or <laughs> offer me. Essentially, I mean, that's, that's essentially what you're doing at that point. It's like, yeah, look, you know, you hear about stories like when uh, like Mike Evans and Johnny Manziel were killing the first team defense and then they became starters eventually. These kids are like, ah, well, if I could kill the, the, the scout team defense at Alabama, I can play for, you know, UTSA. Give me a scholarship. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the, the last takeaway I would say is, you know, I, I had an opportunity to look at Spencer Rattler and, I'm not gonna, like I said, I'm not gonna be hyperbolic because of the spring game. Uh, I, I will say though, he didn't look at the races at all times. Um, and I wonder if you know, he you know, he, he's still not there yet with the scheme. I'm not sure. Luke Doty's been in the system for a while, so he looked a little bit more comfortable with it. Uh, but Spencer Rattler did, did look a little bit behind. Um, he started to pick up towards halftime and, and had a better second half. But the first couple of drives was a little rough, uh, to, just, to just be completely honest with you. It was a, it was a little rough uh, with him back there. So not going to get completely hyperbolic, but these are just some of the, the early takeaways I have from spring games. Uh, and obviously, i got to go back and watch the Ohio State one. Um, it's just going to be a highlight tape. I know that for a fact. Uh, CJ <laughs> probably, you know, is just going to give me more reason to be like, all right, cool, you're going to be the number two pick in the draft next year. Uh, but, yeah, uh, not going to get too hyperbolic, but these were just some of the – some of the takeaways I had. Oh, lastly, and this is actually a takeaway I think is actually the most important thing about spring games that people don't actually ever care about. The kicking game. The kicking game is the only thing in spring practice, in my opinion, that is actually like pretty much, I won't say like game speed, but like these kids are going to be kicking 
like this pretty much all year. And who wins the kicking spot is hugely important. Scott, so how many? I mean, we we took, we do this every year. How many games are win and lost by a kid missing a game winner? Yeah, or I mean, a game winner. Like, you're right. It, it, it's it's eye rolling to think that all this comes down to uh, some 19 year old, you know, uh, kicking a, a game. You know, all these guys work all year long. All this recruiting, mm-hmm. all this transferring, everything, and here we. Here we go, James Smith from uh, random uh, Ohio town. Go out and kick a game winner. Yeah, you know, you know. Uh, but it does. It comes down to this stuff, and and like you said, it is the same stuff that's game speed. The only reason I rolled my eyes is because we got you know uh, Dick of the kicker. So uh, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's gonna be okay. But yeah, man, um, kicking matters. It, it yeah, that is right. Yeah, Dicker's <laughs> gone. That's right. I should yeah. be paying attention to that. Next yeah. spring game is this week. So uh, <laughs> like that was I'll, the first, be, that was one of the first things it out. Yeah. That was one of the first things I saw in the Georgia game. I was like, okay, we don't have Kamarda anymore as a punter. Let's watch what's going on because this kid was the best punter in college football last year. Our punting game with, with, with it added to being a good defense field position matters. So like, you know, those are one of those things I go it, I, now being having watched football from a more of a fan and analytical standpoint, I can now think about, but yeah, definitely. I, I used to just completely roll my eyes at the fact that a kid, would go out there and just kick a 47 yarder. But like you see it all the time, how many teams have like a short yardage kicker and then a long yardage kicker? And it's like, yeah, this kid can hit from 20 to 35. And then the other one comes in from 40 plus. And it's like, these matters. These things absolutely matter. Yeah. I remember my buddy uh, Blaze talking about playing his first CFF year and he lost because he didn't have a kicker rostered because his kicker got a boat DUI. Uh, the weekend before the season started and was suspended for the game. So, you know, kickers do matter. They do matter, even in CFF. Uh, but we have some big schools coming up uh, this week. LSU, Iowa, UCLA, Baylor, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Penn State, Utah, USC, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Texas will all have their spring games coming up. So a lot to look for anything in particular um, that you want to see out of these teams, Nick. One of, one of the important things, and it's, it's less useful kind of during the season. Sometimes I'll, you know, in the summer when I'm rewatching games or, or sometimes I'll just kind of have it on the background and be listening to what the announcers are saying. And, and during the season, that's, I feel like less important, but uh, sometimes you hear things that are, useful and that you know coaches have said or players have said or other people have noticed or or what have you and i think in the spring and this is what josh uh you know brought up that that type of dialogue and the announcers and and sort of you know who impressed the coaches this spring and and what changes are they looking to make and things like that that is pretty helpful and so, you know, try to pick up on, on some random notes like that. And, and maybe it's just a, a little bit of piece of news. Maybe it's not new, but it's something you missed. And, and when you're looking at 131 different teams, it's, it's hard to keep track of everything. But, uh, you know, a lot of what we do is, is personnel based. Who's on a team who's, you know, gone to the NFL, who's graduated, all that sort of stuff. What are, what's the depth chart look like and, and things like that. And so I knew Utah traditionally, uh, pretty, you know, defensive-minded head coach um, has been an, an offense that worked at a 
not necessarily at, at the slowest of slow paces, but methodical, not really a, an up-tempo type uh, team. And, and Kyle Whittingham, the head coach there, has been a defense and special teams guy and, and kind of used the offense a little bit sometimes to uh, help those units rest, the defense specifically. But based on what's coming back this year, the strength, at least on paper for Utah, is on the offensive side of the ball. And that's you know somewhat rare uh, for that team. But apparently – and I had missed this till I just you know saw a note, and this would be the, the type of thing that announcers would discuss on a spring game that might not be, uh, you know, you might not notice it when they're lining up and it looks like, just like a normal practice, or when the you know twos or the the two offenses are going against the three defense or whatever. But they got to have something to talk about, so they might talk about, oh yeah, by the way, Utah is going to be uh, they expect to play a lot more up tempo in 2022 on the offensive side of the ball. They've got you know, experience there and, and, you know, the defense not quite maybe as strong as it uh, had been in the past, at least, or not ex- as experienced or, or what have you. So uh, it is good to, you know, pick up notes like that because, you know, Utah is a, a team that we uh, have had relatively modest offensive expectations before, but if we're really going to see the number of plays they run in a game, uh, increase if we're going to see the time between snaps decrease that might have an impact when we're you know not just looking into uh, who's going to win and lose but when we're thinking about things like uh, you know totals overs unders you know things like that uh, Utah might look a little different this year because of the style uh, that they're going to play on offense because of their philosophy because it's it's evolving a little bit changing a little bit so you know, that's just one example, and Utah is going to be one of the, the, the teams, as you mentioned, they'll be playing this week. But I did see that note in, in sort of my reading, and and that's the sort of thing that uh, I'll be listening for for sure because I'm sure there's some notes like that that, you know, up until this point I've, I've missed a little bit. But uh, that is useful because we're going to have to, you know, when we start diving into more of the, the stats-only model, which is going to have – uh, pace as, as a piece of it. Uh, it's important to note that Utah is going to be quicker this year, at least as, as far as we're to believe, um, than what they've been in the past. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pace of play is huge. Uh, Xavier, uh, your thoughts on Utah and their, uh, their change of pace here and anything that you are looking forward to seeing from those teams opening up their spring, uh, their spring game this weekend? Yeah, that's that's huge. You know, uh, I will say I'm a little I won't say I'm a little bit surprised, but it's always been it's always worked for Utah to work at a, a much I won't say a much slower pace. But, yeah, like they've been a team that's, you know, wants to beat you up for four quarters and I, I again isn't as cute as some of the other teams that have been atop the you know top the Pac-12. You know, they, they always thought of as the contrast to an Oregon. They're always thought of as the contrast to USC or UCLA, um, you know, more of you know. When when SEC fans think about teams in the Pac-12, they're like, oh, we like their style a little bit. Um, you know, they always think of teams like Utah and, and a Washington who play a little bit more of a, a run-heavy style and kind of want to, you know, you know, pound you into the ground rather than you know throw it over your head. But they do have a quarterback, in my opinion, that they probably trust a little bit more. Um, also, I'm excited to see what pace of play does for his legs. As we saw down the stretch last year, he got more and more comfortable being an athlete, and I want to see if if that's added to his to this situation you know when you have a quarterback that is willing to run 
not just can run, but overall is willing to run on a regular basis. Pace of play is huge in that because it never allows the the defense to get a full grasp of what you want to do when that quarterback can absolutely scamper for, for 30, 40 yards. And he, you know, I don't know if people remember, he's not a big slider either. He likes to put his head down and, you know, put his shoulder into some folks. Uh, so he's, he's a little bit more physical than what people want to give him credit at the quarterback position. So I'm excited to see what it is from that uh, standpoint. Uh, the other schools I'm excited to see about LSU because I want to see how these transfers look. Um, I want to see how quickly they're able to, you know, understand the offense, understand the defense, new coach, so many new transfers coming in. That's massive. I want to see how that gels uh, with them being there. And once again, like I said, it's a bit of a, a, a guinea pig experiment because if it does gel well, then, you know, more teams would probably are. Well, I mean, more teams are going to go into the transfer portal regardless. But, you know, if, if you if you essentially can redo your entire defense, which is what LSU has pretty much done with the transfer portal and it looks pretty good pretty good just in the spring you know you're, you're more inclined to you know be like okay cool maybe we can do this uh from west virginia standpoint i'm not sure if jt daniels is going to play but if he does i wouldn't looks expect like. um I, I don't i wouldn't expect him to either i unless he's got a photographic memory and <laughs> that would have been written while he was at georgia i highly doubt you see him take us you know take a, a meaningful snap in that spring game because i do not think he's going to be somebody who understood who has a grasp of that playbook right away uh, He'll be on the sideline in this turtleneck, I, I would assume. That'd be unfortunate, though. I would, I would, I would, I would have liked to see him play. Um, from 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 Ole Miss's standpoint, from Ole Miss, yeah, and Notre Dame. I'm looking at the quarterback position. Uh, you got big shoes to fill, and, and in my opinion, you know the drop off could be immense for Ole Miss if the quarterback position isn't filled correctly. Obviously, Matt Corral did a heck of a lot, not just with his arm but with his legs, to keep Ole Miss afloat last season. Uh, so I'm excited to see that one, uh, and. I will say Texas. Texas and USC are the last two I'm excited to see about. Uh, USC for obvious reasons. I want to see Caleb Williams in that offense. Uh, I want to see if Link. And more importantly, I am going to pull away from the defense in this game because we all know USC. one of USC's major problems has been their defense. Uh, but I want to see what Caleb Williams looks like as the full-time starter coming in. When you're playing with house money, which is what Caleb Williams was doing last season, you can play a little bit more free than the average court, than the average player. When you're When you now are the guy with the expectations, I want to see what he looks like. Um, he has his coach. You know, I'm not gonna say he doesn't have any excuses, but he definitely has less than the average transfer. So I, I want to see what he looks like as the guy, understanding that there's pretty much no competition for him at that position. Um, so you know, I you know, I want to see what his confidence level is with the offense and just you know the swagger he plays with. You can tell from a, a spring game if this kid understands why who he is and what he's doing. That's why I brought up with Anthony Richardson earlier. You talked about it with Stroud. Uh, Nick did. Uh, Bryce Young obviously had the command of the offense. And with Texas, it's obvious. Is Quinn Ewers going to be the guy? I mean, that's just set in stone. You know, the quarterback position hasn't been god-awful at Texas, but some consistency there would be nice. Um, and, and, you know, that first touchdown pass is going to be on every Texas Reddit page and Twitter page from here to Timbuktu. So I'm excited to see what he looks like. Um, and this is just throwing a jab at Scott. I want to see if the Texas <laughs> defense can tackle. That's going to be a massive. I mean, I do too. It's not throwing a jab at me. I've been saying that for the last five years. So... Uh, I just want to see him tackle as well. So I am right there with you. Uh, and you know, lastly, fingers crossed. Surely not leastly. And this was a pride. This was what I brought up last year, which got a couple of chuckles from you guys. Let's see how mobile Spencer Petrus is at Iowa. I mean, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's see if, if Dave, if he's had any kind of progression this year in mobility, because uh, if he has, that'll go a long way in keeping Iowa's offense on the field, uh, you know, as opposed to last year, <clears throat> him being a complete and utter, you know, brick. In, in yeah, 
Yeah. So. I mean, uh, you have Carson Strong's legs when you need to be moving around. That ain't good. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Spencer Petras should be a little more mobile, hopefully. Um, the transfer portal, Nick, it, it, it's popping off. Not as big as we expected, but LSU uh, lost a running back, Corey Kiner. Um, he went to Cincinnati, Cincinnati native. You mentioned here in the notes um, another running back, Tyler McDuffie. Uh, left from Buffalo and went over to Georgia Tech, which was interesting, and a couple other moves. So what were the big ones from the transfer portal this week? And this thing is keeping you busy still. Yeah, and, and the, the, the portal, as we've mentioned in, in recent weeks, we're moving toward a deadline where guys you know have to uh, officially enter the portal by a certain date, May 1st, to be eligible to play in 2022 so we're we're seeing more movement now than we have you know in the, in the weeks leading up to spring practices beginning um but the headline grabbing names uh there aren't quite as many and kiner uh you know he was the the second leading rusher for lsu last year is the leading returning rusher but uh lsu's brought in uh one they got john emory back who was academically ineligible last year and it sounds like he's been uh, kind of the the favorite to be the the primary ball carrier but also they're bringing in a transfer Noah Kane pretty high profile guy from Penn State plus they've got you know three or four uh really talented guys in there as well uh Kiner like you mentioned from Cincinnati seemed like I mean it was a very quick decision so it seemed like uh, you know, he knew where he wanted to go, wanted to, to go back home. And, and so an opportunity arose there. You mentioned McDuffie. That was a little bit of a surprise. The second time he went into the transfer portal, he had withdrawn uh, in, in the early winter, I believe it was. But I know Oklahoma State had, had offered, uh, sounded like Virginia, I believe, was in the mix. And so Georgia Tech was a, a little bit unexpected. Um, not that you know, Georgia Tech doesn't have uh, opportunity. I mean, Jamar Gibbs obviously has, has moved on to Alabama, uh, but they brought in a transfer in Hassan Hall, who, uh, you know, had heard some good things about him this spring and, and was a former All-ACC, uh, you know, return man at Louisville. Um, they also brought back, uh, uh, who was uh, last name Smith, Deontay Smith, maybe. Um, so they, they, they had some... Uh, Dante Smith. They they've got some, you know, guys on on campus who are I think going to be uh, decent. Not necessarily, you know, somebody McDuffie couldn't beat out, but the path or or at least the you know maybe the the high end opportunity to to win <laughs> was uh, better at a place like Oklahoma State, and and so it was a little bit surprising that Georgia tech was, was the landing spot there, but uh, be interesting to see how that, how that shakes out. We talked last week briefly that Amarius Mims, former five-star offensive lineman was in the portal. It, it really, really looked like he was headed to Florida state. He visited and uh, there, there were some, you know, rumblings reports, maybe might not be the official word, but some fairly, you know, credible, close to the program type sources who basically made it seem like it was a done deal to the point where I had already penciled Mims in 
on our Florida State team profile. So I, I obviously jumped the gun there because uh, I believe it was 48 hours later he officially had, had withdrawn. So uh, he'll be back at Georgia and and you know might have an opportunity to to uh, push for a starting spot right now. I, I would expect he's kind of the sixth guy on that offensive line based on the way we project things, but uh, pretty big for Georgia, I think, to get him back. Cause I know, you know, a lot of the, the, I mean, there's a, a crazy, apparently message Florida state message board. That's like 260 pages long about Mims and like Florida state's uh, pursuit of him and how big of an impact he would have, which is, uh, just kind of kind of funny that that that's what uh, I don't know. Just just interesting, I guess. But and uh, yet, there's no such thing as the off season. How many pages on that forum did you say there was? <laughs> I, do, I think it was over two fifty. Good, it, yeah. Season. And there's no off season for a, mean, for a backup know. offensive lineman. But yeah, that, yeah that's so, peak off season stuff right there. But <laughs> but a couple of just again things to to note, things to keep in mind, I guess. Uh, one of the things this time of year, like I mentioned, there's there's not a ton of headline grabbing guys or guys that we expect probably are going to be um, major impact players. I mean, Seven Banks was a you know would have an opportunity to start at LSU, committed there uh, earlier on on Tuesday morning. Uh, Kiner, you know, you would think at this point is probably the favorite at, at Cincinnati, especially with Jerome Ford moving off to the the NFL. But we're going to see fewer and fewer of those. The quarterback, I mean, JT Daniels was the last big piece in the quarterback portal. It, it, it would seem, unless something unexpected happens in the next couple of weeks. But one thing to keep in mind is if you if if your favorite team or or a team that you're you know you see, oh man. We, you know, this team lost seven guys to the transfer portal in the last 24 hours. Sometimes, yeah, you know, maybe that could be a sign that something's wrong. Uh, but also keep in mind this extra year of eligibility that everybody got in, in 2020, there wasn't an extra, you know, number of scholarships uh, applied to this year above that 85 for the NCAA. So there, there are plenty of teams who have. You know, I was reading about Virginia Tech earlier. We were talking about Caleb Smith. They, I believe, by most calculations, have 89 scholarship players. And there are only 85 scholarships. So it's not going to be a surprise to see, you know, three or four guys enter the transfer portal at once and then probably a few more, you know, a couple of days later. And it's not always voluntary. You know, now that spring practice is wrapping up, you don't need extra bodies to actually conduct a practice. Uh, there might be some, you know, situations and I don't know all the details on how this shakes out, but there, there's probably a conversation. Hey, you know, sorry, you're, we just don't have the, don't have the room. Your scholarship's not going to be there. So that's going to be part of it. Some guys enter the transfer portal, you know, they're, they're actually giving up football, but they say, yeah, I'll put my name in. If somebody calls me, we'll see. Um, but it's not always a doomsday scenario because, your locker room is rotten or, or, you know, guys hate the the coach or, or something. There's, there's other things going on, especially right now, you know, as I'm going through and, and moving guys on our team profiles, it's, Oh, this person, you know, entered the transfer portal. I go to their page, didn't recognize the name. And they're a sophomore who's been on campus for three years. Didn't play any snaps last year, played in three games on special teams. So those are the kind of guys uh, it seems that the the biggest number, at least this week, 
uh, has been that type of guy. So it's not always, you know, uh, so-and-so is moving on because he can, you know, wants to start at, a, at another school. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a, an accounting move. Sometimes it's just, you know, the, the natural process of things. But the, the spotlight on the transfer portal is a little bit uh, brighter, obviously, the last couple of years. And then the second thing, uh, this is a, a very specific thing, um, but Ball State linebacker Brandon Martin, former starter, uh, was awarded a seventh year of eligibility on Monday. He had been removed from our team profiles and, and uh, you know, he was out of eligibility by our calculations, wasn't on the roster anymore. Saw a note that he's back, was able to, to get a waiver for a seventh year, and he's probably not going to be the only one. So that's a, another thing just to, you know, if you're trying to keep track of every little thing uh, like we are, there are, I know, some schools, some players at other schools who've been practicing while waiting some waivers. I believe UTEP has a couple of guys, starters, like one linebacker, one potential starting receiver that I haven't heard if they've officially gotten their waiver to be eligible in 2022. So there will be some movement on that as well. Some guys that we expected to be back, you know, might not get their waiver. Some guys that we didn't think would be back will get a waiver. So just another note that, that you know, there's, there's all sorts of, movings going in, you know, things going on uh, related to the transfer portal directly or indirectly. And it, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, insert your Tommy boy joke here. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. Uh, yeah. They're called doctors. Uh, but uh, Xavier, your thoughts on, on uh, any of these moves in, in the transfer portal? I mean, I think the move. I think uh, Dylan McDuffie to Georgia Tech is huge. Uh, losing a guy like Jameer Gibbs, first off, is, is hard to replace in its own. Uh, but to bring in a guy, you know, who can start right away from them is, is going is going to soften the blow. Obviously, obviously, now watching Jameer Gibbs have a seventy-three yard touchdown run in the Bama spring game doesn't help. But hey, at the end of the day, you've got to be able to move on, and to move on with talent is easier than just be like, all right, now where do we go from here? Uh, seven banks going to LSU for me is is, is huge. Uh, losing a guy like Ricks was massive for them already. Uh, but to bring in a, to bring in a five star like Seven Banks, to bring in a guy who, for for all intents and purposes, has had some draft talk. I'm not saying he's going to be a guy who's first round draft pick, but has been in, in has been talked about before in draft circles. It is massive for LSU, and once again, they continue to hit in the transfer portal. So I'm even more excited to see what their team looks like, not just in the spring game, but going forward with all of these transfers and how that gels on a new ball club. Uh, so that, that's great. That's that's a great move for them. Uh, Amarius Mims deciding to come back to Georgia was a fun one for me. I'll be honest with you. I've got a couple of Florida state fa- f- uh, fans as uh, friends and they were all about Amarius Mims coming in and how much that would help their offensive line and, and how great he of an addition he would end up becoming for Georgia, uh, for Florida state, excuse me, just for him to go. Nah, I want to be a dog. And I was like, Thank you. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, it, it was it was it was it was a, it was a nice little chuckle uh, when that came across my Twitter. I was like, oh, he's back. Good time. Oh. Um, hmm. But I, I mean, when, when he left, it was reported it was like no hard feelings. He was just like, I just want to go and test the waters. And, and I guess you know he went, saw what was out there. Florida State was his best option, and decided to come back and play at Georgia. So I, you can't blame the kid. Uh, like I said, there was really no bad feelings. So I don't. I'm not too surprised to see him come back. Uh, but yeah, and. and Hey, shout out to getting your seventh year of eligibility. I'm all here for it. Like, I am all here for a kid being able to play as many years as he wants to in college football. Hell, didn't Taysom Hill play like six? Like, I'm all here for it. Get yeah. Good. 
Yeah, I mean, who cares? It's just a funny yeah. Tommy line, yeah. uh, Tommy boy line <laughs> that, that I had to like, throw in there. You know, I don't blame you at all. But like, but by Absolutely all means, go, go ahead. We have a tight end on Georgia State that got his seventh year of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. sixth or seventh year with with Aubrey, Aubrey Payne. So by all means, dude, continue to live out your dream of playing college football as long as you can. If you could get ten years of eligibility somehow, by by all means, uh, fill dude. out as many waivers and forms as you need to to get them to be like, all right, okay, sure. That that I mean that does sound like a lot of forms. So, uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, a, a lot of politicking. But uh, look, you know, we 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 heard Nick say earlier that there is no such thing as the off season. It's early preseason, right? Well, uh, ESPN has released some FPI, which is their football power index for 2022 season, and uh, there were a couple teams that you know were just a little high um, and were much higher than uh, CFP winning edge and Nick's uh, initial assessment here. Texas is of course, one of them. Uh, Auburn is another one. Pitt is another one. So uh, Nick, what are you thinking of the early ESPN FBI? And, you know, we don't have to kill it here or anything, but it was a big point of discussion. It was, you know, Texas wins the off season again, never win during the regular season which is really starting to annoy me, but uh, just the way it goes. So what do you think about ESPN releasing their FBI and the uh, fervor and fallout afterwards? Yeah. And and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it. I'm I'm sure by this time, everybody's seen the the graphic that made its rounds and all the, you know, uh, kind of head scratching that a lot of people did on, on, unfortunately, you know, this year it was Texas, uh, last year was Mississippi State, who I think they had eighth in their their uh, initial release. But uh, they're in doing what we do, and I and I kind of understand because I don't know the exact you know inner workings calculations that FBI does, but I think more often than not, the way we do things are kind of similar with with the way that they do things, and so there are some obvious. Uh, exceptions. I mean, we, I thought we were high on, on Texas, Auburn and, and Pitt, but FBI is, is higher. I mean, we've got Texas uh, top 15 and FBI, they're sixth. We've got Auburn top 25 and FBI, they're 10th. Uh, and that of course made a lot of people, uh, you know, chuckle or mad or, or whatever, because there's the thought that, Oh, you know, these stupid nerds, I don't know that that Brian Harson is on fire at, at uh, Auburn and and you know the the uh, it's one of those things where numbers versus things intangibles I guess uh, and Auburn is going to be a test case a little bit this year because you know we still think they're a talented team for example but uh, there are some things going on there that could impact whether or not they actually play up to that level of talent. But, uh, you know, one thing I, I wanted to, to bring up and, and FBI might miss on uh, some teams that are unexpectedly high, uh, but they might get one or two. And, and you know, last year, I remember um, I felt that we were at times a little uncomfortably high on Oklahoma State. It just didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, but FPI was kind of the other one that I noticed who had Oklahoma State as kind of a fringe top 10 team, and they were inches away from winning uh, the Big 12 and going to the playoff last year. So uh, obviously 
they didn't get everything right. We certainly didn't get everything right. But I, I do look at other ratings models. I do, I do, you know, try to um, see where other people, other smart people, how they are evaluating teams and, and how they are projecting teams and compare them to what we do because, uh, you know, it might cause me to, to take a little bit closer look at a team um, if, if we are way off. It might, you know, help me feel a little bit better in a situation where I felt like we were a little bit on an island with Oklahoma State. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, we don't have to dig too, too deep into, oh, my God, can't believe they have Auburn number 10. That's obviously so wrong. But, uh, you know, who knows? They, FBI might end up uh, coming out on top when Auburn surprises like they sometimes do and say, or quarter, you know, be an argument for, hey, let's not overemphasize some of these intangible things. So I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. And, and I know that last year, like I mentioned, they had Mississippi State so high. They did go through and update, and we're always updating, but they, you know, recalculated something, had some, I, I think they said they had uh, like a piece of information incorrect for Mississippi State specifically. And so they dropped them or more of like a top 20 team than a top 10 team or, or whatever it was. But uh, it's just, you know, it's interesting when, when one of these comes out and it certainly was a talking point last week. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look for similarities, look for differences and, and uh, what can I learn from, from FPI beyond just thinking, Oh, so-and-so is overrated, I guess. So Xavier, your thoughts on the FPI and, and a couple of these teams being ranked uh, much higher than we thought. I mean, it's, 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 it's preseason. I don't want to read too much into it. That's the first, that's like my very, very first thing that I, I don't want to do because when I am, I very much have been a fan before that read, read something like this and is immediately upset. Like how really Texas this high, this is what we're doing this year, guys, again, for the next year. And this isn't me taking a dig at you, Scott, at all. That's just something that, you know, I, I, I've. Oh, yeah. Look, this is the, the yeah. typical Texas offseason is, you know, like I said, they win the offseason and lose during the regular season. It's super annoying. So, I mean, yeah. Fair. But, yeah, no, like, and, and when I look at this, I go, okay, cool. I, it, what would be cool though is you know seeing an, an FPI like this and then partnering it with some of some of what you see during spring games. Not everything for obvious reasons, but like for instance, Pitt being this high on the FPI list. Do you feel this way? Would you feel this way still after watching Keaton Slovis's spring game? Yes or no? You know things like that. And, and I know it's not necessarily like that's not an exact science to use, but still. After watching some of the spring games, where some of the more places that you may have been confident about, like I definitely came into this spring hella confident on Pittsburgh having their quarterback, right? Like Keenan Slovis was going to be the guy. I, I was okay with that. Subpar spring game, not room to panic yet, but just a slight yellow flag. Okay, cautionary tale. Um, but other than that, the only other teams that I would say that I immediately were like, outside of Pittsburgh, because that was the first one that came to mind, them in Texas that were like, okay, they're rather high. Uh, Auburn, for obvious reasons, I think that that quarterback room is still in flux. Um, and to be honest with you, I think it will remain that way as the season progresses. Um, even though TJ Finley has been quoted as the guy, I'm not ready to go ahead and say that just yet. Um, I'm excited to see Kentucky up here, uh, to be honest with you. I'm back on my Kentucky bandwagon, as I always seem to be. Uh, but I'm excited to see Kentucky this high on the FPI list. And, I, and a little bit of a reoccurring theme that I will say is on this list is the lack of like 
who we know at the quarterback position going into the year. Uh, it is a little bit pre- more prevalent than I think maybe in past seasons. Like genuinely after Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, the next like five or six teams, really I'm not 100% sure who their quarterback is going to be coming into the year. I'll be a 1,000% honest with you. Uh, Notre Dame, not a 1,000% sure. Texas should be yours, but I'm not sure. Michigan's maybe runs a two-quarterback system again. Pittsburgh, Auburn, LSU, all I think – may have some quarterback movement, maybe. Uh, those are all, and those are all your next teams. Oh, excuse me, in Oklahoma, who I think may have the most sure quarterback situation out of all of the teams I just named. So I wonder if that was taken into the power index What uh, as well is the, is the lack of maybe uh, for sure that we have at that set position. The one Go thing I, I know for sure about FBI is quarterback, returning quarterback is a big, pretty big piece of it. Like, I think, I don't, I don't, know all the percentages, but I, I believe they're out there somewhere. Um, and they might've changed a little bit since the last I saw, but it's, it's kind of like four main factors. And one of them is, is the quarterback back. Uh, so I, so I, I do believe that it's, you know, that, that not the only factor certainly, and there can still be a highly ranked uh, team that, that doesn't bring back its quarterback, but I think it's more of a yes, no. And so like for Michigan, we don't necessarily know which quarterback is back, but they're both back. So they're not going to get dinged too heavy. And then That's I, fair. I would, I would have to assume that by this point, transfers, yes, Slovis being the example. So like, Oh, Kenny Pickett's gone, but you know, Slovis and, and we might have a different opinion on Slovis than, just whether or not he's a, a experienced starter, um, just based on you know looks like regression over the last couple of years, uh, but at least on paper, and I, I guess the way they calculate it, it's almost maybe not entirely a one for one swap, but it's it's closer to that on on Pittsburgh. So I think that might be why they uh, are able to to you know stay a top ten type team. Um, is because they were able to replace a high-end quality starter with somebody who at least has a similar amount of experience coming in. That's fair. Uh, We also got uh, in the early preseason here, we had the SEC West win totals. We got the East win totals uh, this week over on WinBet. Georgia was at 11.5. Tennessee was at 8.5. Kentucky sitting at eight, Florida's at seven, South Carolina's at six, Missouri's at five, and Vandy is at one and a half, Nick. So uh, which number do you find the most interesting out of this group? So a couple of the the ones that are, uh, you know, we, we obviously do the win projections. We have projected win totals for all 130 teams, 131 teams, uh, because we have point spreads for, for every game already. And, you know, the, the big uh, ones that stick out are kind of interesting because the price you have to pay uh, for them, it, you know, it, it, it uh, for example, okay. So our, our biggest two differences uh, you know, when we did this with the SEC West a couple of weeks ago, I ran through all the numbers. We had a really strong record last year uh, on where our projected win total is plus or minus 
a full win compared to what the the odds makers have. And for Georgia, their number is 11 and a half. I mean, defending national champion. We mentioned they're a top three team already. Um, And so when we were talking about Alabama, their number was 11 and a half. I basically said that that's going to be an automatic under bet for us uh, because we just, you know, as good as we think Alabama is getting to 12 and 0 the way we do our projections just isn't going to happen. And in most cases, it's going to be, uh, you know, pretty solidly a full win or more under Georgia is the same situation, but uh, even more so because we, we project basically 10 and two for Georgia and Georgia has a, uh, manageable schedule. I mean, they certainly could go 12 and 0. Um, that is not out of the realm of possibility. We do have them favored in every game. We have them favored by more than a touchdown in every game. So, you know, if you were to just look at that and you think, oh, I don't see an obvious loss on the schedule, how could they, you know, you know, 12 and 0 is, is, seems pretty likely. But as we've mentioned before, when you do individual, uh, projected winning percentages, you know, against Florida. Yeah, we have Georgia as a 10 and a half, almost 11 point favorite, uh, but that's still only a 73% chance of winning, which when you, you know, break that down to the percentage of a win, we give Georgia credit for 0.73 wins. And then you get 74% against Mississippi State, 69% against Kentucky, even 94% against Georgia that chips away at those 12 possible wins. And, and when all said and done, we get to 10.04. Now, if you were to bet this at, at win bet, and most of the time when we're just throwing out, oh, are we over and under or over or under 11 and a half wins here, we'd say, oh yeah, we're definitely under. Uh, and in our mind, or at least mine, it, it, you know, you think of that as being relatively 50, 50 or like bet, 110 to win 100 kind of thing odds. But this number specifically at Georgia is listed at minus 250, which is an implied probability of more than 70%. So, you know, you'd have to bet, a, uh, you know, to win 100, you'd have to bet what, 170, 180, something like that. It, it, it's, you bet 100, you would only win 40 if you're, if you're betting the under there. But on the flip side, you bet the over, which we don't think they're going to get, you know, we don't think we think they're going to slip up somewhere. But then if you go back and think, well, we do have them favored in every game, have them favored by more than a touchdown, have them favored by double digits in all but one uh, regular season game. So can we, you know, game it out and, and think, okay, Georgia, you know, maybe the, maybe uh, 12 and 0 really is uh, possible to the point where, you know, you get on the on the flip side the the if you were to bet the over instead of being nine, minus two fifty on the under, it's uh, what two hundred five, two ten, something like that. Plus, so you bet a hundred, you'd win two hundred five. So then it might be worth the risk to kind of go against uh, what we have projected. Similar situation, but on the other side, Vanderbilt's numbers one and a half. We actually project Vanderbilt at two point nine five wins. Uh, but to bet the over for Vanderbilt is minus 170. So, uh, you know, you'd have to have to lay more to, to win the 100 there. So uh, just just something that we don't often get into the details about. And, and usually when we're going through and 
team previews and conference previews and, and things like that. We treat it almost like a 50-50 every time. But there are some of these, especially on the extremes, where uh, you know we might have to evaluate a little bit whether or not we actually would bet it because – it's just, you know, it costs more, pays less type of thing. So those two jump out to me the most going team by team here. Those are, uh, let's see, there's only one other, at least as it stands right now, that's different by more than one win, and that's Tennessee. Uh, we actually have them currently projected at 7.3 wins. So we'd be under the eight and a half there. So we would bet three of these, uh, or, you know, we're, we're at least going to, if this is the official number we do when all is said and done for all 131 teams, we would circle these three as our, you know, quote unquote best bets or, or what have you. Um, but for the most part, everywhere else there, they're pretty closely aligned. And, and that's not a, a major surprise. If we can get, you know, two out of every division uh, where we've got a difference of, of a win or more, that's a, a pretty good number to shoot for. We don't want to have, too many because that means you know we might just be off uh but hopefully we've got a, a few here and there where there's an edge and and for us you know we see georgia and vanderbilt but obviously the the odds makers or, or the market um strongly agrees with us to the point where it might not be worth it to bet at, at those odds but tennessee you know maybe there's a, a little bit of value there maybe uh, that's that's closer to the normal, you know, minus one ten uh, odds. So so maybe that's one that that we would be investing in. Xavier, any interest in uh, in any of these numbers to you? I honestly had a lot of initial interest just looking at the numbers. Uh, like right off the bat, I was like South Carolina six. Oh yeah, take the over. And then I went and looked at all of these teams' schedule and realized they just happened to schedule the most daunting non-conference schedule as possible on top of the fact that I don't that none of the teams that I genuinely had a look at immediately and, and liked have a, a an easy ramp up so Florida was another one that I looked at and I liked you know Florida at seven I was like okay Billy Napier's first year Anthony Richardson is the guy no more quarterback situation hopefully he stays healthy you know and then they start off with Utah so I'm like okay never mind and back to right after that they get Kentucky so I'm like okay let me let me go move on. All right, South Carolina, cool. They start off with Georgia State. That's a, that that works, and they get Georgia at Georgia, or sorry, at Arkansas, and then Georgia. Never mind. I, I'll take that back. And then lastly, but least, but not least, I was like, okay, Tennessee eight and a half. Really? Let me. I was like, should I be surprised if I look at this schedule and they have a non-conference opponent that's actually solid and they play at Pitt? And I was like, okay, well, let me just put my money back in my pocket because I'm not betting on any of these. Maybe Tennessee under. Might be the only thing that I would genu- genuinely think uh, with them playing with them with four two of their four games being against at Pitt and against Florida, uh, having what can be determined as an early bye week, and then having at LSU and Bama back to back. You get Kentucky and at Georgia back to back. That could you know th- those could be well over five. That, that you could get five losses there uh, in, in that situation. Uh, really, it would be the pit yeah, the, the pit or the Florida game would be the toss up, but. You could go under on on eight and a half with Tennessee, and I think you would feel comfortable in that situation because I, I think even if they play their best season, I'm only still comfortable with them getting eight wins. I don't think they'll be nine or a double digit team. Uh, so I, I think if you if I was a betting man and somebody put a gun to my head and said that you need to pick one of these, it'd probably be Tennessee under eight and a half. To be honest. Interesting. Um, you've, you've changed so much, Xavier. In the three <laughs> or four years that we've been doing this. 
you're you're you know slowing down a little bit on uh on on hyperbole uh you're you're agreeing with what our numbers say when it comes to win totals i feel like this time last year even it was like everything i said the the numbers say this and you're like ah no i <laughs> i become pragmatic <laughs> old age what's happening yeah you're you're yeah. you're I, I, Changing. I turned 26 in no May. Long, no longer <laughs> a college man. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Now a grown man. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait till the gray hairs start coming in, Xavier. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, it, it's gonna be I'm right on top. Of you. The gray hair started when I was 12. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had more gray hair in high school than I did two years ago. So uh, th this was my first trip when I went to Phoenix. It was the first time I didn't get carded anywhere. Uh, even my buddy who's standing right next to me got carded. I'm like, oh. I guess, uh, you know, I must have uh, the haggard face going on here. So uh, no more getting <laughs> cart. So uh, but our last subject that we're going to talk about on the show today is the, um, you know, roster strength uh, for the offenses and who has gained or lost the most. Now, Nick, I'll obviously let you explain uh, the nuts and bolts here, but it's just interesting to look at all the teams. And I think somewhere around 30, 40, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe 35, have a positive number. But it's also because it's not just guys leaving. Uh, it's it's guys moving, too. So most teams lost production from last season. So, um, But, of course, at the very tippy top here is South Carolina uh, at almost double, at least three points better uh, than everybody else here in terms of improvement. So uh, let's hear about the process first and then any teams you want to talk about here. Yeah, so last week we talked about the change in roster strength from the end of the 2021 season or uh, not exactly an average of the 2021 season, but we made the rosters as sort of complete as possible to give the best reflection of the roster strength in 2021 because we do – you know, uh, remove guys for injury. We add points when when uh, guys reach certain uh, statistical benchmarks, things like that. Roster strength is is very fluid. It's something that changes quite a bit over the course of the year. And so, to actually you know put a number on this was the 2021 roster strength. Um, it's a little more complicated than than just that. But we talked about overall roster strength last year. The roster as a whole. How does it you know, rate in our calculations based on the talent potential on hand. So recruiting ratings, things like that. And then we make adjustments and wait for experience and career production. We, of course, you know, recruiting is a piece of that, but the transfer portal is part of the reason why we spend so much of our time each week talking about transfer portal. That's a big piece of it. And, you know, guys go off to the NFL, guys graduate, run out of eligibility, uh, might not get that seventh year of eligibility waiver. And then, you know, other guys come in, transfers, recruits, what have you. And then just the the traditional, oh, you know, this guy was a true freshman, didn't play a whole lot, but come uh, next year, a little more experienced, ready to, to take over that next role. And whether or not, you know, how that player compares to uh, the person he's replacing in, in the lineup. So, um we break it out into offensive and defensive roster strength as well. Uh, this week, we'll talk a little bit about the offense 
and we actually are able to break it out position by position. That's one of the things in our FBS team profiles. There is a box uh, kind of in the, the middle of each team profile between our offensive and defensive depth charts that gives you know a whole lot of, of numbers broken down by position, recruiting ratings, average player ratings, uh, the ratings of the players we deem starters, the two deep, and then what we call position strength overall, which is kind of a weighted uh, player rating to where the starter counts the most, then the you know number two uh, uh, person in the two deep counts, and then the rest of of the roster. So we can you know compare what quarterbacks today that position strength number or running back or offensive line or you know linebacker or whatever it is how those compare from last year to this year. As you mentioned on the offensive side of the ball, South Carolina, number one. Uh, They increased their roster strength by over six points. This is on a scale of of 70 roughly to 100 being the max. And that's a big, big jump. South Carolina is one of the most improved rosters on the offensive side of the ball that I think we've seen maybe in, in recent memory. And, you know, last year, Western Kentucky kind of rebuilt their entire offense. Utah kind of rebuilt their – or Utah State, I should say, rebuilt their entire offense. But they were doing it with guys who were, you know, FCS or, or a group of five transfers. South Carolina's doing it with former five-star and, and high four-star players. So we're seeing a bigger impact than we've seen in, in years past. Texas State is number two. They're a pretty experienced team. They were able to uh, make a big improvement at quarterback. And uh, USC is number three, probably not much of a surprise. Talked a lot about the changes at at USC. They've gone heavy in the transfer portal. On the offensive side of the ball, brought in Caleb Williams, brought in a boatload of receivers and running backs. And and so it's not a surprise that they were one of the most improved offensive teams in college football. Uh, the rest of the top five, Georgia Southern, kind of an interesting one because they're they're making some offensive changes, went into the portal for quarterbacks and wide receivers, which are going to have a little bit more of an impact in the new offense than they did in the uh, more option-based offense that, that we're used to there at Georgia Southern. And then Arizona, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about Arizona uh, this offseason, the, the changes they've made, not only on the cr- recruiting trail, but uh, in the transfer portal as well. Going to the very opposite end on overall roster strength, um, our bottom five, the, the biggest loser, so to speak, Iowa State, probably not much of a surprise. We talked about last week that they were on the, the very low end in overall roster strength. They're losing you know, a four-year starting quarterback. They're losing uh, who's probably going to be the highest drafted running back. They you know, have some losses on the offensive line, so not a surprise there. North Carolina. We mentioned last week that uh, they have some buzz, kind of some post-hype sleeper-type buzz. Uh, but the way we calculate things, especially on the offensive side of the ball, man, you know they're they're losing Sam Howell. Probably going to be drafted relatively high. Could sneak into the first round. Certainly, you would expect a, a first few rounds kind of guy. He was a hundred-rated player, maximum rating at the quarterback position. They are also losing Ty Chandler, running back who's really high rated and uh, multiple starters on the offensive line, Nevada to nobody's surprise. They had sort of a special uh, group of G five skill position players, all of which have uh, either moved on to the NFL like Carson strong or transferred. A lot of guys followed uh, Mike Norvell to, or not Mike Norvell, uh, Jay Norvell 
to Colorado State. So they're losing a ton on the offensive side of the ball. They're the third uh, you know, team moving in the wrong direction. And then we see a couple of G5 teams that might surprise some people because expectations are still relatively high on the offensive side of the ball for Kent State and for WKU, but they lost really, really highly rated quarterbacks. Kent State, uh, Dustin Crum is gone, and sure, you know, Colin Schley is probably going to be able to, to step in and, and you know orchestrate that offense pretty well, but is unproven. I was just noticing that too. Like it's it's all high profile QBs for these. And that's teams a big part. At, I mean, quarterbacks quarterbacks uh, count the most, right? And, and when you're losing a 100 rated player like uh, like like that and replacing him with a guy who's unproven, wasn't super highly uh, rated, it's a big drop. Yeah, and Coastal I think is the highest team on here that uh, Coastal Carolina that didn't lose their QB, but McCall is hurt. And, you know, there is question as to whether he's going to be able to start the season. And then UTSA would be like they, Frank Harris is still there. Right. So yeah, yeah. they're the highest one that they didn't lose uh, their, their starting QB or, or has, you know, their starting QB has an injury, which is interesting. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. I no, just no, no. noticed that as you were talking about it. That's quite all right. And I will be putting this full list. Um, haven't built it out yet in the team profile so that it automatically uh, will update these numbers. That's that's probably a summer project. I, I do want to uh, put that in there, um, you know, so so that we can keep tabs on on things closer to the season how this moves. But I am going to put this one. You know, I ran all the numbers on Monday, and and this is what it is as of Monday. I'm going to put it on Patreon and in an Excel file for anybody uh, who wants to see it there, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a snapshot of, uh, how, how these, you know, rosters are moving and, and a big piece of it, you know, on the offensive side of the ball is, is definitely quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Iowa state, North Carolina, Nevada, Kent state, WKU, all of our bottom five lost quarterbacks. Then it's Arizona state transfer, you know, uh, Cincinnati gone to the NFL, Western Michigan, NFL, Coastal. You mentioned that that that's a semi-unique one, but um, McCall's in some ways kind of like the last big, you know, highly rated guy uh, on that roster. And it, you know, they, they're just losing a ton, basically. Ball State quarterback gone. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a a big time factor, um, and it's something to monitor. It's why FPI has quarterback turnover, you know, big in its model. Um, and, and the way we calculate things, it's, it's important. So it, these are, you know, North Carolina might be uh, in a situation where they're able to replace Sam Howell, no problem. They've got two really highly uh, rated guys who've been in the system for a couple of years. Somebody might be ready to, to uh, step in and take over and become the next great quarterback. It's just the way we calculate it, you know, right now, we need to see a little bit more on-field production to be able to justify a, a higher rating. And we might miss out on a team or two like that. But uh, And I probably need to come up with a more recent example. But I, I think often in a situation like we see at North Carolina that uh, Tennessee won the national championship the year after Peyton Manning left for the NFL or graduated, right? So there's probably a more recent example. I mean, I know. What James Wilson <laughs> was a redshirt freshman, right? There's probably even more recent examples than that. 
but uh, or Trevor Lawrence, was he a true freshman when they won it? Or was he a sophomore? Yeah. Anyway, so so there are more recent examples. So you can replace uh, superstar quarterbacks, but, you know, the way we calculate it, I guess maybe we hedge a little bit more uh, might be a, a, a word for it. But that's it's going to be an issue when we're looking at North Carolina. So I think, again, even though some people – you know, probably tempered their expectations a little for North Carolina uh, after last year's disappointment. We might even continue to be a little lower on North Carolina than most. Xavier, when you look at these numbers, uh, what is it that stands out to you positively or negatively? Yeah, I mean, I, I was first thing that came to mind when I was when I saw Georgia Southern, I was like, huh? Uh, but no, in, in understanding a little bit more after, after Nick so eloquently said it, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Uh, what I was—I won't say I was surprised about. No, I was no, I was surprised about it. Was to see Miami uh, at the QB spot get better this year. Uh, I think that that is indicative of what was one heck of a second half of the season last year uh, for Van Dyke, and I think that. You know, he, he should be able to build upon that going into this year. Uh, Nick, let me ask you a question. And I'm, I'm pretty certain this is going to be a yes, but JT Daniels is in the QB spot for West Virginia already, correct? He is. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Sometimes when it's a, a, a especially post-spring um, mm. transfer, I will be a little – cautious and not necessarily pencil a guy in as a a right. full starter but i think jt daniels it's it's pretty clear he's gonna it's gonna be his job to lose so i did i did go ahead and, and pencil him in as the full-time starter and so you know had we had this discussion uh this time last week mm-hmm. west virginia you know would be in a much different situation they they uh would have uh you know, seen a, a they, they'd be relying on a starter, Garrett Green, who is unproven, has played, you know, 130 some snaps in his career, never started a game and has been mostly a runner. Uh, but he's a guy that in our rating system, it's only a 79. JT Daniels, even getting a little bit of a knock on his uh, recruiting rating. We don't we don't consider him a full, you know, former five star anymore the way we calculate it he's still a 90 plus rated player. So uh, that's a pretty big jump in, you know, strength at that position, at least the way we calculate it. Yeah. And if that answered your question, probably. Absolutely. No, yeah, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it did. No, you're good. Uh, And looking at some of the other teams, I think I got a little bit of a chuckle at middle Tennessee. I was like, they were just really that bad at the quarterback position last year uh, that even a slight jump puts them in a, in a, in a better, position than they were last season uh but this is a really good i I think this is a really good thing to look at when you're thinking about dark horse teams uh going into next season uh minnesota was the first one to come to mind when i was looking at this being in the top 10 for for changing roster strengths between 2021 and 2022 you know they were a team that maybe without losing ibrahim in the first game of the year there were maybe they maybe would have been a better team maybe a little bit more of a consistent team uh but but with you know an improved roster they might be a team that's able to compete a little bit more you know maybe they're this year's iowa and not necessarily the the, the complete drop off but more so you know a team that kind of hangs around the top of the big 10 for the for the majority of the year before being you know before having to play some of the big dogs uh like like essentially what happened what happened to iowa just 
you know, not losing to 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 Purdue in that in that time frame. Uh, you know, this is also really good in my opinion for for recruiting strength. Who who you know, and, and like teams like Illinois going from you know being top twenty and roster strength, you know, change from twenty one to twenty two. You see t- you see coaches starting to create their identity on the recruiting trail, bringing in their guys. Um, and, and even from a development standpoint, you're seeing you know in, in that situation better development. Same thing goes for like Sam Pittman at, at Arkansas for another year, continues to get that team to a better spot in this ranking. So that's great. Like, you know, those are the kind of things I look for when I'm looking at this. So I, I love these numbers in particular to, to, to your credit, Nick. Yes. I have started to like the numbers a little bit more than in the past uh, to, to, to your credit. I have started actually use, using them more often as well, just in my everyday, you know, college football conversation, you know, here's one, here's one, two, three. You're not not necessarily an early adopter on on the numbers. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm you glad, know, you know. Glad I'm wearing you down a little bit. It's good to have yeah. a skeptic too. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's <laughs> sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I, I you know I think these numbers are great for for teams that are more in that middle co- part of the conference that may you know when they're seven and one come week eight or week nine and teams are like nobody saw this coming. It's like well. Their roster got better in between your, you know, this year and and uh, or sorry, last year and this year, and that's probably been some of some of the what the reason as to why they're in the position that they are. Uh, I want to go back and see if from 2020 to 2021, teams like Iowa, teams like Michigan State, did get better in roster strength, so that we, uh, so that if it's something that we can genuinely like stamp as an indi- indication that you know, watch out for some teams that are atop the most improved offensive rosters. Because it might lead to them being more successful in in this year coming up, uh, and and maybe to spots that people didn't even expect uh, when it comes to win totals. I'd have to go back and and run those numbers again. The the way we calculate the change in roster strength, it, it's uh, between when the team profiles are originally published and the very beginning of the season. It measures uh, the change from the end of last season to the, the start of this season. But then once the season officially kicks off, we zero everything out. And then it's used to calculate, uh, you know, in season who lost, you know, if you, if you get a negative roster strength, that's injuries and, and things like that transfer. Maybe uh, if you get a positive roster strength, it's added production. So I do have like old versions of the team profile saved from the uh, very start of the season. So I could, I could get you those numbers. I will go ahead and say that, it's probably not anything close to a perfect correlation. Right. I think it's more of a, uh, it, it's a, it's a piece, right? It's a data point. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, we've talked a lot about South Carolina and that worries me a little bit because South Carolina in this particular calculation has mm-hmm. gotten such an improved roster um, that you would think that that's going to be an indicator that, hey, maybe maybe this isn't just a bowl team. Maybe they're ready to take that next step and, you know, work their way into that conversation uh, of, a, of a, a problem in the SEC East. I mean, nobody's going to expect them to, to beat Georgia at this point. But, you know, there's, there's a, a spot open for that number two. You know, Florida has slipped. Kentucky – uh, could be at Tennessee. Looks like they're on the rise. South Carolina, I think, if we're just looking at man, that you know, the 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 roster is better. 
at, at this position, that position, you know, quarterback, they're number one, most improved offensive line. They're, they're pretty high on the list receiver. They're top, uh, top six in, in a most improved receiver group. And so it's like, wow, you know, this, this was a team that is really, really on the ride or, you know, surprised and, and went to a bowl last year and they're better this year, man, what, you know, how high can they go? And that makes me nervous because, I mean, we just talked about SEC East win totals and, and we actually didn't spend a whole lot of time on South Carolina uh, in that conversation because, you know, their, their posted win total is six. So basically, can they repeat what happened last year? And our number is, is under six. I mean, it's 5.67. So we think that their roster is is way better. But, you know, maybe the the actual chance at, at uh, games that they're able to win, we don't necessarily expect that number to to increase at all. Quite frankly, I mean, we're we're basically calling for a six and six regular season, and so it it makes me a little bit nervous to you know look at numbers like this. And wow, we can we can see the way we calculate it, and I always try to slip in. The way we calculate things, I'm sure, is not perfect, and there's obvious, you know, there's there's some things we can learn from it, but there's some things that you know might not be, uh, it might not always work out. So it, it it makes me nervous to think about South Carolina in particular, uh, just because man, tough schedule, and they in some ways, you know, really I think tapped out last year or or reached their maximum ceiling last year, and it's difficult to do that, you know, it's difficult to surpass expectations uh, year after year. And so will they be a team that can make that sort of stair step increase? And if so, then yeah, they really could be a, a, a team uh, that could be a problem in, in the SEC East, or are they a team that, you know, things just kind of clicked, got a few lucky bounces, got a little bit of a boost for, you know, a, a variety of reasons last year, and then this year, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're a better team, but have the same record, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. very, very, very interesting. Um, uh, th- these numbers and uh, peak preseason uh, stuff that we have going on right here with who has I- improved the most. See, I'm learning. I'm like Xavier. I'm learning. Well, we're, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. I, I, I messed up. I, I, I was uh, joking it, it, did, it, you a little bit, and then I dude, it did make me off. feel real good when you were giving me crap, <laughs> and then immediately said off season. Yeah. It was it was I, one of my favorite moments. I But look, it's it's we're trying to get verbiage correct. You know, we're we're uh, we're we're old guys. It's it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks. Yeah, and here, I'm I'm so. going to deserve whatever happens when I, uh, you know, just just was. Talking about, oh yeah, Xavier, you're on, you're on board with the numbers now. So whatever happens and, and goes wrong uh, <laughs> from that point where he had a different opinion, I'm going to deserve that too. But uh, the the last little piece of it, we don't need to to dive too deep here because it's honestly, I just haven't taken the time yet to to dive into it. But one thing I will be paying closer attention to is this number of, uh, you know, the plus or minus number on the offensive lines. Um, yeah. Because yeah, we you know we we. Every week we talk about so-and-so quarterback, this running back, this receiver is moving. Uh, and we don't talk enough, I think, about defenses and, and you know, offensive line. It's, it's, it's difficult. 
And offensive line is really tricky to put a number on anyway, because, you know, guys are often uh, overrated, underrated, a little bit more so, it seems, anecdotally by the recruiting, uh, you know, companies that, that, that give us our, our base uh, talent projections. Offensive line is the most difficult position group to properly evaluate. And so I do feel like sometimes, you know, our numbers can be a little bit uh, more noticeably off on the offensive line. However, it's one that, you know, at least until for most people, the, you know, Phil Steele magazine uh, arrives in July, maybe they don't think about, oh, this many, you know, starters are coming back or whatever. And we've got, you know, I don't want to, I'm, I'm struggling for the right word. We, we, when our returning production uh, database is, is fully available, we'll dive a little bit deeper than just, you know, returning starters plus or minus. Uh, but this number of, of, you know, how much did the actual roster strength, the actual offensive line position strength increase or decrease is, is one that I want to, you know, scrutinize a little bit more because a team that, you know, potentially could you know, that we had somebody reference us in a tweet uh, a day or two ago about Boston College and how you know Phil Dracovic coming back fully healthy that's great we have Boston College rated really high in our secondary position strength uh, but offensive line you know they had a top ten unit last year multiple guys going to be drafted including maybe one of the top interior offensive linemen uh, to go and. Their change from one year to, I mean, they're 126, so only five teams saw a bigger drop in position strength on the offensive line than Boston College. So will they be able to replace, you know, that level of, of talent that they had uh, with guys who are unproven uh, is going to be a question. And, and that offensive line piece of it that sometimes gets overlooked is it's a factor. I don't know how much of a factor it is. Um, I've done some studies in the past on, you know, number of starters returning and, and it's a little bit, uh, basically it boils down to there's no impact on, on win loss record or, you know, winning percentage or, or what have you. There's no, no correlation with offensive line there, but I think internally we, we know it's gotta be something right. Right. LSU is a team we're high on FPI is high on them. Uh, we think that they, answered a lot of questions with the transfer portal and some of those are on the offensive line. They're really on the low end here. You know, they're, they're 115th. So that's just going to be a piece. And and it's, it's five guys. It's, it's a, uh, it's the biggest guys on the field who are often the, the, you know, most difficult to see when you're, when you're watching. Um, but it's a big piece of it, and and it's difficult to to put a number on it. We try our best um, with our offensive line strength, with our, our performance ratings, and, and things like that. But you know that that's a, a that's a position group in particular. We've got some numbers. I need to dive into them a little bit more. I'm going to spend some time in the you know next few months as we get closer to the uh, regular season. Uh, because it, it just needs a little bit more scrutiny, but it, it's one that you know I do want to do want to point out and, and do want to uh, you know it'll be more of a talking point in the months to come. We should say absolutely. Well, look, that is going to wrap it up for this week. We'll of course be back 
next week to talk more uh, spring games and all that good stuff. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter. Myself, Scott Bogman at Bogman Sports, Nick Allen at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.